Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. Before we actually get into God's word together, uh, I was just sensing in my, my heart, my spirit before when we're worshiping uh, about chains that can, can hold us captive. And so I just want to ask you, uh, just with this imagery of a chain, um, and it could, be, it could be something in your own life that you feel is, is holding you bound, and you're not as free as you would love to be. Or maybe it's somebody that you know that you can see this imagery of a chain just really keeping them held captive. I think we need to pray for that. And so, anybody in the house, anybody here, you're feeling, you know, there is something in my life, and it's like a chain. It could be a relational thing. It could be something that is going on inside of your mind. Uh, it could be some kind of a habitual thing. It could be any of those. And you, you want some prayer tonight. I know this is kind of stepping out there. But you just want to raise your hand because I need some prayer. Raise your hand if you feel like that's that way all over. How about a friend of yours, some of you know, that could use some prayer because it's like a chain holding them bondage, holding them captive, and they need freedom. You have a friend or anybody you know like that? All right. So where's all the hands? Can you put your hands up? Who had hands up? Can you look around real quick? Not that we're being nosy or anything. Uh, I'm going to encourage you. When I pray, if you see some of these hands up, just go over next to them, put your hand on their shoulder. Would you do that during prayer when I pray? Just start standing up. and Those hands again? Oh, you're going to put them down now. You're not going to put them up because you don't want anybody coming over. <laughs> Keep them up. Keep the hands up. We're going to have some prayer. It's going to be all right. So let's do that together as we pray. Just If you see those hands up, go next to them. Put your hand on their shoulder. You might not know who they are. It's not getting creepy. It's not getting weird here. And so we're going to pray and believe that tonight. And maybe you didn't lift up a hand because you're just new or maybe it's just too much. It's too far out there for you right now, and that's okay. Holy Spirit's going to still work with that. And we're just going to believe that. There's some chains that are going to be broken tonight. Relational chains, mental, uh, spiritual. It, it, it could be anything in our own personal life. Something that you're just sick and tired of it holding you back, holding you down, holding you captive. God, we're praying in Jesus' mighty name that you would take the gospel, take the word of God, and just start breaking that apart, whatever that may be. Just start breaking it down, setting free the person that lifted up their hand. And God, we're praying for those hands that went up on behalf of other people. That we're going to hear testimonies, we're going to hear things happening in their life where they're just being set free. Some of them are going to be born again, truly saved, because they never were. Maybe they made a profession of faith, but whatever it is. God, those people that lifted up their hands for themselves, bless them, free them, heal them in Jesus' mighty name. And for our friends and people we know out there. Do something miraculous, and may we hear that you showed up and did something profound and deep and life-changing. Break the chains, Lord. Break the chains in Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people say, amen. Hey, we made it through that, right? Hands on the shoulders. <laughs> we did okay. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. I want to title this message, Seeing the Crowds. Seeing the Crowds. I'm going to give everything that I have to preach. I got sick this past week. And uh, my voice is kind of on the edge here. It kind of sounds like Marlon Brando a little bit, doesn't it? Come on. <laughs> Guess not. All right. Seeing the crowds. Let me ask you some questions before we actually get into the text and see what Matthew was recording as Jesus was doing some amazing ministry. Uh, when you're in a crowd, what happens to you? When you're in a crowd, 
what happens to you? Little hives start to happen, you know? Little agitation. What's going on inside of your mind when you're in a, a large crowd? Are you having a meltdown? How about a little bit of claustrophobia? Your personal space is being in, invaded. How many people would confess right here, right now, that when you're on an elevator and there's just way too many people, you just want to hit that button that says close. You know the, the button that makes it close faster? Come on, you're like, yeah, because you don't want anybody else to get on there, right? How about if you're the only one on the elevator and you still want to push that button? Are you like me? Come on, it's like two or three of us, okay. We're just like, there's something about crowds, especially on small, in small spaces, maybe a little bit of claustrophobia. Let me ask you some more questions. You're in the back of the DMV line, right? Uh-oh. Somebody's having some triggers. <laughs> Somebody's having some PTSD. We're, we're in the back of the line. You picked your number. Uh, the number on the screen is saying 23. You look down at the one you have in your hand, and it's 93. And the lady serving the window that you're going to go to is 93, too. It's like, oh, no, crowds, crowds. They just drive you nuts. It depends how you look at the crowd, right? All right, fast forward next week. You're at the Super Bowl. Yeah, you're in a, you're in a, a massive crowd. Thousands and thousands of people, not only watching the game live, but they're watching it on TV. What's your feelings? What's your perspective? How are you seeing the crowd at the Super Bowl? Is it bothering you? Probably not, right? Especially if the Eagles are winning, yeah? Come on. It's like somebody's nodding, no. They want the Patriots. Uh Uh-oh. We're going to have to lay hands on at the end of our time together. It depends how you see the crowd. Let me just give you another one. Launch Sunday, March 25th, crowded house. How are you feeling about that? Huh, huh, come on. <laughs> Some of you got spatial issues. Because you're going to be there. You know, 300 people might show up, right? And you're going to be like, doggone, somebody took my parking spot, you know, or somebody took my seat. There's going to be people like that. Instead of looking at the crowd going, hallelujah, positive impact, Jesus showing up, people getting born again, people getting healed, instead, you're looking at it a different way. It depends how you look at the crowd. How do you see the crowd? Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. What did Jesus say? Matthew, about Jesus. First three words, what are they in my ESV? Do you have the ESV? I hope you do. Make it easier. Seeing the crowds, right? Are you there? Seeing the crowds. Here's the title. How did Jesus see the crowds? When he looked at other people, what was he thinking? As we get closer to launch, it's imperative that we see the crowds in Reading and Greater Reading the way that Jesus does. Matthew chapter 4, verse 25, it says, Great crowds followed him. He was surrounded by crowds. Chapter 7, 28, 8, 1, 8, 8, 9, 8, 9, 33. Chapter 9, verse 36. Chapter 11, verse 7. Chapter 13, verse 2. And many more references are to crowds. Jesus was constantly around crowds. Looking at crowds, seeing crowds. What did he see? How was he looking at crowds? When you're in a crowd, do you ever watch people? Anybody people watcher here in a crowd? <laughs> Lisa and I were in Florida with some friends. Oh, man, we are ruthless. And so uh, we're, we're just watching crowds of people and just, you know, just look at, yeah, okay. And we're just watching and just having a, a fun time, really being still Christian, right? And so... Uh, but we're, we're people watchers. So you're in a crowd, you're looking at a crowd, and you're, you're wondering, what's their story? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what's that person's story? What's that person? Because everybody has stories. And we're, and we're looking at crowds, and Jesus is able to see crowds. And, and he knows their story. 
and their situation. I was parked outside of Staples in Exeter. My wife was going into uh, Staples. And a couple of doors down, there's a liquor store. And so I'm parked there, and I'm just, I'm just looking, and I'm looking at all these people going into the liquor store. Not just one. I'm talking, this is, well, what night was that, babes? Was that, that was Friday night. And so I'm watching this, and literally they're converging on the store, sometimes four, five, six, ten people at a time. I couldn't believe it. I'm watching this, and, and the looks on their faces were like, they were like zombies. They were like slaves. And they're going to the door. Can you just picture it in your mind if you can? They're all just kind of walking with this look on their face like hopelessness. You know what I'm thinking? What's their story? What's their story? And they go in and they come out. They would come out with, you know, the brown paper bag. And, and they're holding on to something. Obviously, it's, it's alcohol. And they're going to do something with that alcohol, right? And they're going to get lost somewhere in their thoughts and try to deal with some stuff. I thought to myself, Lord, I'm, I'm looking at some crowds here and and you're, you're giving me a glimpse, and I'm so glad that you're giving me a glimpse, but I need a greater vision of the crowds of the people in greater Reading. And so easy to lose that sight, so easy. Jesus didn't. I want to give you three principles out of this, in this message. We're going to look at different verses from chapter 5, verse 1. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Here's number one, if you want to write this down. Jesus, this is when he's seeing the crowds. He's seeing those that are within the crowd that haven't committed fully to him. Those within the crowd haven't committed fully to Christ. In verse one, you'll notice it again. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain next to the Sea of Galilee. And there's this mountain that overlooks the sea. And he goes up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And so in that, his disciples, there is this, um, there is this, uh, oh, I'm losing the word here. Um, it's gone. What's that word that went at your, <laughs> it's not even there. It's not even there. It doesn't happen to me too often. And so, implies, there it is. Hey, it came to me. Thank you. It, it's, there's an implication in that statement that the disciples are those who have committed fully to him. But the implication is, is that there's many others who are in that crowd who have not fully committed their life to Christ. They haven't bowed before him. They're not, he's not Messiah. He's not Lord. He's, they're not following him. That's the implication there. And so when Jesus is looking at the crowd, he's realizing that there are those there that don't fully commit to him as Lord. And it's the same thing with the crowds in our world here. There are those who haven't gotten to this place. In John's Gospel, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they do what? They, do you remember? They follow me, he said. They follow me. Now, there's people in the crowd of that day when Jesus was up on the mountain there. There's people in that crowd that were observing things. They were probably hanging on the fringe, and they're probably looking and wondering what's going on, but they're not laying down their life for Christ. Jesus would also say somewhere else, they were like sheep without a what? A shepherd. Is this how we see the crowds as lost and separated from Jesus? Do we see the crowds as people that are wandering and hopeless? Listen, the longer that we're believers, the easier it is to lose sight of the lostness of people. Would you find that to be true in your own life as you've been a Christian a long time? I can say that. I've been in ministry 30 years. 
There have been times where I'm so, I'm so caught up in the Christians, you know, and around Christians that I lose sight of the lostness of humanity. So that night, Friday night, I'm looking at those people, and I'm like, wow, the lostness of them. And I was getting just little glimpses, but I need a greater glimpse, and you and I need a greater glimpse as a church of the people that have not laid down their life for Jesus, right? Do you know anybody like that? Are you like that in this crowd? Maybe this is what Jesus is saying to you. Have you fully committed your life to him? Let's go back to the Super Bowl. You ready? Another imagery here, illustration. Think about being there next Sunday. There's a great crowd they're gathered, millions of people involved in all of that. How many are Christ followers? Did you know that quite a few on the Eagles are, are Christians? They claim to be Christians. Isn't that great? Hey, you know what? Forget the Patriots, man. I'm an Eagles fan. Hallelujah. I'm from New England, so that's why that all came up. But anyway, and so I was like, man, I'm going for the Eagles for sure. I love that they're confessing Christians on the Eagles. But when you look at the crowds of people that are going to be involved in the Super Bowl, you have a very small percentage of people that are followers of Christ. And you have the vast majority of them who haven't fully bowed their knee to Jesus. Would you agree with that? So you're going to have people there on that day, and their adrenal glands are going to be on overload. They're going to have maybe one or two or more, too many, right, at the game. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be enthusiastic. Again, if you're an Eagles fan, you're going to be fired up. You're a Patriots fan. They're just as fired up. But when all of that is done and the adrenals settle down and the people are back home, there's a sadness. Here's their story. The game, you couldn't tell. It's just like, all oh, ramped up. But when they get home, there's the traumatic events in their life. There's the relationship breakdown. There's the dad and son that doesn't get along for years. There's the, the, the depression. There's the despair. There's the suicide that was in the family or the suicidal thoughts that were in somebody's head. Wouldn't have known it in the crowd at the, at the Super Bowl. But behind the scenes, everybody has a story. I know there's a story here with all of you, and there's a story in my life. Let's, when we look at the crowds, let's remember that everybody has a story, and it's easy to lose the, the, the lost state of humanity in Reading. It really is. How many people lived in Reading maybe more than 20 years? Red, greater Reading. I'm not raising my hand for Redding because I don't want to claim that. All right, greater Redding, surrounding, right? And th this is a needy, needy city. It's not the only needy city in the country, but it's a needy city. There's some lostness here. There's people that need Christ. Will they believe? Will they accept Christ as Savior? Here's number two. When Jesus looks into the crowds, what is he seeing? What do we have to see as a church? Those within the crowd, number two, have come to Christ, but they need greater consecration to him. Consecration would be separation, going from uh, immaturity to maturity, going from sin uh, to life, going from darkness to light. That's consecration. You're moving, you're growing, you're, you're advancing. That's consecration. This is in chapter 5, verse 2, and it goes all the way to chapter 8, verse 1. This is what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Imagine the crowds gathered that day listening to the living word of God. This isn't a preacher. This isn't a man. I mean, this is, this is Jesus, the Son of God. Fully God, fully man. Living word came from heaven to earth. And he's on that mountain and he's speaking to them. And he's speaking to these others in the crowd. They have believed in him. But they're hurting spiritually. 
They want to go further with God. They want to go further with him. Notice some of this. You're not going to be able to keep up with this. I'm just going to fly through this. Chapter 5, verses 3 to 12 is the Beatitudes. You've heard of those. Chapter uh, 5, verses 13 to 16, talking about salt and light. Jesus fulfills the law. He talks about that in verses 17 to 20. Talks about anger, lust, divorce, all the way beyond that in the next 15 verses. Retaliation from verses 38 down to verse 42. Loving your enemies from verse 43 to 48. Chapter 6, he talks about giving to the needy, verses 1 to 4. The Lord's Prayer, 5 to 15. Fasting, 16 to 18. Treasures, you know, gathering treasures either on earth or for heaven, verse uh, 19 to 24. Chapter 7, verses 1 to 11, judging others. The Golden Rule, verses 12 down to verse 14. Fruit in our life, verses 15 down to verse 20. Verse 21 to 23, talking about the lordship of Christ. And then we looked at this last Lord's Day, I believe it was, building your house, verses 24 to 29. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, if you want to look over there, chapter 8, verse 1, what's it say? He said, when he came down from the mountain, and there's still great crowds following him. So you have the end of the Sermon on the Mount. All of that, this teaching to help on that mountainside, these people go deeper with God. They wanted more. And they were getting more. They were getting taught by the Son of God. They were getting taught by the Spirit of God. Things were happening inside of them. Fresh, fresh move of God in their lives. How many would say in the last year, the last six months, the last two months, the last month, you were having a fresh work of God inside of your own life? How many would say amen to that or hallelujah, right? Something's happening to you. You're part of this crowd. You've accepted Christ, but you're getting more consecrated to him. You're leaving this old life. You don't want that dead spirituality. You don't want that lostness. You don't want all of those things. You want life. You want more of God, and you, you come here, and I could hear you sing. I'm on the front row. I could hear you. And some of you are, are, are clapping more than you've ever clapped, and, and some of you are singing louder than you've ever sung, and there, I know there's been tears coming out of some of your eyes when you're worshiping, and that wasn't like that a year ago, two years ago, three. Is that right? Am I right on this? Something's happening. Well, there's people like that all around us too, you know. They want to be closer to the Father. They want to sense Him more in their life. They want that joy unspeakable and full of glory. I want you to think about these people. Remember, we're getting ready for launch, and so God is going to prepare for us on March 25th for people to come in. Who is, who's going to be there? There's going to be those people that are lost. They're not Christians yet. And they're going to hear about Jesus. And then we'll say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus can save you. Jesus can forgive you. And these people with tears in their eyes are going to be like, I've never known this story before. And some of them are going to bow their knee and they're going to go, Jesus, be my Lord. And there's going to be others in that that crowd on March 25th at the Fox Theater who are Christians, but man, they just, they're struggling spiritually. And they want revival, and, and they're stuck in this place of nominal Christianity. And I remember being there. I remember my wife saying, if this is all there is to Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. This is about 15 years ago or so. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you're, you were thinking the same thing. And you're like, no way. I want more. I got to go further with God. I want him to consecrate me more. I want to keep moving forward with him. There's a lot of people you know like that. Am I right with that? Do you know some Christians? 
that are just really, really struggling spiritually. And they don't have that. They don't have that passion. There's something missing there. A friend of mine, John Tupai, this is many years ago. John's maybe 20 years older than I am, and I had known him in a ministry many years ago, and we had gotten separated, and I came back to the area, and somebody said to me, you know, John Tupai's wife's dying of cancer, and I said, wow, no kidding. And so the Spirit of God just started speaking to me, so you need to go to John Tupai, because the person said to me that John is really struggling. Christian, really battling with having joy and working his way through that grief and all that. And the Spirit of God said, you need to go to him. And so I went to his house, and he wasn't there. And knocked on the door, rang the doorbell, hoping that John would open the door, and he's not there. And I get in my car, and it was the weirdest thing. I just looked over at his door, and I just pointed. I said, John Tupai, you will have joy again. And I, I mean, can you imagine somebody seeing me do that? You know, they would think, you know, it's kind of nuts. I just said, declaration, you will have joy again. I went and found him. I walk into the hospice room, and he's looking up at me, and his wife's laying there. And she just starts pointing, it's him, it's him, you got to go with him. I didn't know what was going on. Gives me goosebumps to even think about it. <laughs> because his wife knew she was going to die. And, and she knows that, that John needed to come with us. And so that began a relationship for a year as Jan- Janice kept getting closer to heaven. It was the craziest, craziest thing, how joy came back into that family. And, and John started to, to live again. He started to live again. There's people that you know that need to live again. They're Christians. But there's something not quite right in their life spiritually, right? Let's bring them March 25th. You're saying they're in a good church. Yeah, if they're in a good church, that's fine. But still bring them on the 25th. They can still celebrate, right? They can still rejoice with you. If they're in a great church, that's fine. If they're in a horrible church, not a healthy church, not a church at all, then that's different. But if they're in a good church, still invite them because this is what I'm praying. They'll come, (laughs) and something wonderful and powerful is going to happen to them, and they might just take that back to their church, and God will use something in their life to other people. That's fine. They don't have to stay at Harvest. Number three. We're looking at the crowds the way that Jesus did. Those within the crowd need to be shown the compassion and care of God. This is chapter 8, verse 1, all the way to 9, verse 38. Can I just show you some of those verses? Look at verse 5, chapter 8. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward. This is obviously somebody connected to Rome. Appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Wow, what a compassionate Jesus. What a caring Jesus. Let's go to verse 28. Look at verse 28. It says, when he entered the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. Chapter 9, verse 1. Did I already do that one, chapter 9? Did I skip over? Where's chapter 9? That's a new Bible. I'm just getting used to it. Chapter 9, go back there. I'm sorry. Chapter 9, verse 1. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic. Chapter 9, verse 2. Lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are free. Are these hurting people? (laughs) 
are these people here that, that are, are going through all kinds of difficulty, all kinds of, of hardship, and they need to be shown that God is loving, that he's present, that he's powerful to deliver and powerful to save and to heal their bodies. See the crowds tonight, Harvest. They're filled with people who think God left them, didn't care about them when they were younger, didn't care about them when they were going through their hardship and their trauma. They're hurt, they're disillusioned, and they're even angry. Maybe some of you were there. There's lots of those people in Reading, Greater Reading. Lots of them. They're all out there. I remember when Kathy Danko came to our church many years ago. When Kathy came in, I knew that almost immediately that she, she's not used to Christianity. And so if you've been around the Christian church, been in leadership a long time, you can almost read that situation very quickly. And so I, I looked at Kathy. She was invited by a friend of hers. She was sitting in that chair, and as I was preaching, I would look at her in the eyes, and I could tell that she was very uncomfortable. And she wasn't uncomfortable because of the content. It wasn't uncomfortable because people were mean and didn't treat her, you know, lovingly. She was uncomfortable because she had never been in a Christian church. And she was thinking as she's sitting there, is this ceiling going to cave in on me? That's what she said to me afterwards. I said, really? She goes, yes. Because she was living a life that was so far from God, to be in a church building in her mind, she was thinking, this is dangerous for me because God is going to like. And so Kathy and I and my wife and her built a relationship. And you know what I found out about Kathy? If there's anybody, I've met a lot of people through the years in ministry. She is probably the number one person who has lived the life that I would go like, whoa. I've seen a lot, and I don't get too shocked in life anymore because I've seen so much. This lady shocked me. But it was so cool because God was drawing her in, and she's sitting there, you know, and she would sit there week after week and, and just start to realize more and more that God really does have compassion and care for her. The first time I talked to her, the second time I talked, the first time I was on the steps, I said, can I give you a hug? And she says, yeah, and I gave her a hug, and but the second time I talked to her, she just told me her story, and she says, you know what, God, I hate God. I'm mad at God. I'm angry at God. And God wasn't there for me when I was molested. God wasn't there for me when my brother committed suicide. So she said to me, I didn't know what to say to that. I'm like, and she was just, she, she needed to know the compassion and care of God. And it didn't happen in one sitting. But it happened after we got to know her and loved her. And, uh, and she uh, came to live with us for a while, for six months. And she just got so much softer and so much more open to God. Think about the crowds in Greater Reading. There are people out there. They're your neighbors. They're your friends. They're your family. They're your coworkers. Here's what crowds of people were to Jesus. Crowds meant potential converts. They meant more disciples, more worshipers for the Father. Crowds to Jesus meant greater mission impact for the kingdom, an army to fight Satan more effectively. There were crowds all around Jesus. I'm going to do some things in February as we gear up for March 25th and the launches. We're going to talk about fasting. We've got, we got to talk about fasting and, and really getting ourselves to that place where we know that on March 25th at the Fox Theater, nothing can happen of any spiritual, profound, supernatural degree 
uh, in our flesh. It won't happen. It won't happen if I just preach louder or preach harder, if I sweat or spit. It won't matter if, you know, Scott is just hitting all of those chords just right and it's just perfect. All of that will not matter if the anointing and the power of God doesn't fall on that place. It won't. People will leave and they go, wow, that's good music. But they won't be converted. They won't be healed. They won't be transformed. Chains won't break in their life unless the power of God falls, the anointing. And fasting has something.